something that you should be aware of is that paying the bills is okay. That being in your career right out of college, it's not a failure if you don't get a job in your industry or in the particular realm that you studied. And that was a hard lesson for me because I, I felt like a failure as soon as I got out. So yeah, hi. Thanks, thanks for coming. Um, Will, thank you so much for being here. Everybody, this is my friend Will. Hi. Will. <laughs> Welcome. So um, Will and I, I'm just kind of give a brief introduction and a little background and then start by asking Will some questions. The goal is to kind of just turn it more into a conversation. And then towards the end, we'll transition into questions and answers. Uh, so that's kind of the plan. Will and I uh, went to college together, so that's kind of how we first met. We uh, had the same, some of the same professors, and we worked on some of the same projects. And um, after we got out of school, kind of exist in similar and intersecting ecosystems. I think I was a year ahead of you, so like I was out for a year, and then after you graduated, we kind of both were living in and around Boston. And uh, over the years, we've kind of gotten work for each other and worked with each other in limited capacities here and there. And so for me, you know, whenever we talk about networking and, and kind of planting seeds, so to speak, you know, Will, I feel like is a, is a great example for me of a blossoming flower that <laughs> comes from the seed that, that we've both planted, right? in terms of like how networking works. That's a weird analogy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, since then, Will has actually gone on to found, co-found uh, his own company called OpenPixel. What year was that, Will? When did you guys start OpenPixel? Uh, we started OpenPixel 2017 into 2018. Great. Yeah, so going strong, continued growth. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring Will in here to talk to you guys is because he has a lot of experience I mean, a lot of different roles, right? As kind of like a, a freelance artist, full-time employment artist, uh, and also, I think most importantly and notably, as an entrepreneur. Um, and so I wanted him to, to be here to kind of share his experiences with you who are beginning to think about what's next. So that's, that's Will in a nutshell. <laughs> so I guess I want to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about the company that you co-founded, OpenPixel? And what kind of work you guys do and what, what kind of clients you work with? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so OpenPixel is an animation studio. We create custom animated content for businesses. So a little further away from the traditional animation studio that would do entertainment for either children or uh, adult audiences, we're sort of focused on the business side of things. We do that through creating animated content for marketing channels within businesses. So we do campaigns, social media campaigns or ad campaigns, and we create content for those campaigns. We do presentations, we do advertisements, we do website videos, things like that. We put animation within, we, we enable businesses to expand with the medium of animation. There are two other parts to that question. What kinds of clients do we work with and what is my role? So I'll start with my role. My role is kind of three, three parts to that role. I am the 
first and foremost, probably head of sales. So people come to us and they ask for requests, they talk about projects. And my job is to sort of analyze and determine what the best strategy is to tackle a certain project within a certain budget. I also, if they don't have a budget, I put price tags on those projects. And I basically say like, this is how long it's going to take and this is how much it's going to be. I handle a lot of the contracting and a lot of the estimates. So we send out estimates, we get contracts, that kind of thing. A second part of my role is operations. So I'm sort of building and developing systems, sometimes coded solutions to pipeline problems, creative pipeline problems, or no code solutions on the back end for business business side stuff. So I'm, I'm no code is basically like linking up APIs together on the back end to, to make sure the business runs smoothly. That's kind of the idea of operations. And then my my sort of third bucket of work is is an artist. I'm an animator. I'm I, I sort of studied lighting and compositing at our respective schools. Um, and I did a lot of motion graphics, do a lot of motion graphics. I work in, inside of After Effects. Um, I, I do a lot of the 2D design for a lot of the motion graphics projects that we get. And I also serve as like a 3D generalist depending on our 3D projects that we get. So those are the things. The type of clients we work with. So those also kind of fall into three buckets. The main one is marketing and communication professionals. And that can happen at a nonprofit. It can happen at a business. But typically inside of an organization, they have someone who's looking to either generate demand or create interest for their products and services. And animation is just a piece of that. Um, A lot of the times what they have is an internal team of designers. Maybe they have copywriters, maybe they have some some other form, but usually not an animator. So we kind of go in, we serve that role. We work with those clients to try to get animated projects done within an organization. The other bucket is sort of producers. Usually they fall into small and mid-sized companies, production companies. And those are folks that usually don't have an internal animation team, or if they do, they're trying to hit sort of a a higher level of quality on their animation because we're focused solely on animation. We're not doing any other sort of live action work. And so that's... That's the second bucket. And then the third bucket is nonprofits. We try to help out nonprofits wherever we can. Sometimes we work with them to try to develop. We're working on developing a course for like online paddling safety. Um, And that's like all animated. So, uh, yeah. So those are the sort of the three buckets that we work with. Very cool. So when you say like organizations, you mean like just any kind of company that has a marketing need that may have a person or department that makes the strategy for the marketing, but you guys implement the, you know, the, the animated media aspect of it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of company, every company has some sort of marketing effort. It could be within, you know, with a team or without, depending on the size of the organization. And I say organization, but I mean, company, I mean, uh, business. I mean, those are all terms for a structured thing. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So, like, I guess the reason I ask is because the alternative to that maybe would be like an advertising agency who's kind of who kind of be like, do you ever work with advertising agencies? Yeah, we do. Some ad agencies will hire us directly. Sometimes they will hire a producer who has to do more of the live action stuff or or oversee the project, and then those producers hire us. In terms of who we go after or the folks who are making the decisions, usually it's the marketing team. So above the agency is someone at the table at the business who's doing the work already. They're thinking about strategy and they're thinking about all of the things that the business already has to do outside of the agency. So then, you know, 
one of the things they can do is take it in-house. We're seeing a lot of businesses do that, especially in this economy. They will shrink yeah. a little bit. So they're taking things in-house. They'll either hire someone or they'll hire someone outside that they don't have to like, you know, pay benefits to or anything like that. Cause you know, that's how businesses run. Um, right. But you know, they'll, they'll hire us to do like a certain portion of it. And typically again, it's all animated. So, you know, you couldn't hire us for just doing graphic design or you couldn't hire us for just doing the website. It has to be animation, but then, you know, the other side of it is if they hire an agency, they'll come to us and they'll say, you know, because this agency has worked with us before, or because we've been in their channels, you know, visibly, they'll come and, and say, okay, this is an animated thing that we need someone else for. Because um, agencies are also kind of shrinking depending on the economy. So, the economy. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you. So, can you talk a little bit about why you and your co founder decided to start your own company? How did you know it was the right decision? You know, coming from a similar kind of professional background, uh, me personally, I would be terrified to start my own company. Yeah. Uh, a big decision and probably came with a significant amount of risk and, and lifestyle choices and changes. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk about like why you decided to do it and what that process kind of looked and felt like for you. Yeah. So um, in 2016, 2017, we were both working at, at a studio called Anzivin Studio out here in Florence, Massachusetts. And small team, the, you know, the head of the company, the two heads of the company were like in the same room, like arm's length away. So it was really nice to be able to talk to them and like get a sense of like what was going on on the back end and learning from their processes on the business side stuff. So that was a really neat experience. Not not a lot of studios work like that. Um, and that's a that's a really uh, unique position to be in. But at that point, they were pivoting towards they had to, they always had two sort of divisions of the company. They had the sort of production side of the company and then they had the uh, software development side of the company and they would develop tools for animators, you know, mainly rigging software. So I'm assuming everyone here knows what rigging is. <laughs> you, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So uh, they developed um, something called the, the setup machine and the setup machine for games and the face machine. Those are all tools that I think are still available. Uh, the company has since dissolved, but but the store side of it is still up and running, I think. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I haven't checked. But they, they decided to pivot to that, like specifically just that. And so at the time, we had very little clients on the production side, but we kind of looked at each other and said, hey, maybe we could do this on our own. I was managing projects at the time as well as doing the creative. So I kind of got a sense of both of those sides. And so we took it on. And Anzavin is kind of a hard name to say. It's, <laughs> so we decided, okay, we need to rebrand. We, re we need to do our own thing. We need to start from scratch. Um, and so we started the company in 2017, at the end of 2017, like August, September. And we've been six years in. Um, we survived a pandemic. We're still alive. That's good. You know, hopefully there's no fungus that's growing inside of us that'll uh, grow us all. Well, I've been watching The Last of Us, so that's... Uh, ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, that's, so yeah, it was super scary. I, I will, I will uh, say that it's definitely a leap. It's definitely a risk where you don't know when your next paycheck is coming from. You don't understand like how to build a business at all. We were artists. We know all about art and we knew like the production pipeline. And so we spent a lot of time learning about business 
uh, development. Just how, what, how, what is like, how does it run? What, what do I have to do? And it was interesting because I can apply a lot of the pipeline work that we already knew inside of the, the sort of the artist side and sort of apply that to the business end. Because it's kind of very similar. You have to build steps in order to get to a certain thing, right? You got to we'll go through a pipeline to get a rendered image. It's the same building steps to get work from someone. Same idea. That is a cool analogy. I, I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like I told you guys, you're learning more than just animation, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So I guess we're kind of like going backwards in, in time, but before you founded co-founded OpenPixel, what was your job and career? Like what were you what kind I know you started to talk about your work at Anzabin, but yeah, what other kinds of experiences did you have before starting OpenPixel? And um, also, if you could kind of go into like what what is fundamentally different for you now that you you know run the show, so to speak, versus when you were just an artist working for a client or even working for yourself. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big question. Um, yeah. Sorry. I can no, that's a, no, that's okay. I'll I'll start with my sort of work history. Sure. I've had about eighteen to twenty jobs, and I am thirty six. So I've had in more than one occasion, like I was working three jobs at a time to like make ends meet. Um, and this is way like before, like moving to Anzavin and moving out to Western Massachusetts. Um, right. So I've had a lot of experience in all other sorts of industries that I didn't know would be helpful in my operation of OpenPixel. So I'll give you a few examples. I worked at a nonprofit early on, super early on, working with people and just talking to parents. It was, it was a sort of a, a, a summer program that I had to talk to parents about their children's applications and stuff like that. I worked at a uh, newspaper. At the time, they were still doing print and I would lay out some of the pages inside of a newspaper uh, article. And that was like my very first hint at graphic design and things like that. I worked for sales uh, in the sales department at AT&T for about a year, year and a half. And that was basically selling phones at the height of iPhone. Um, so when iPhone first came out, I was selling phones to like, you know, generations of people. They would like line out the door. Yeah, I remember you had like an iPhone one and I was super jealous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was like all of that experience helped, like helps me even today, uh, for sure. So yeah, a lot has changed. I think when you when you work for someone else, creatively or not creatively, you're being judged by the people who pay, who cut the check, right? You're judged on the work that you produce. You're judged on your productivity. You're judged on the quality of that work. You're judged on like all of the performance things that you have to do. And in a creative field, it's even more more judgment because they're like the people who are giving you feedback have themselves a standard in their minds that you should be hitting. So there's there's that sort of aspect to it. When you work for yourself, the client is the person who judges you. And typically they're looking to you for advice. They're looking to you as the expert. So it's a very different dynamic in that way where I'm not necessarily judged on my work. They're looking at the work and deciding whether or not it's good good enough for them. And I think that's that's a very different way of working. The other aspect I think of my life that has changed is like the sort of the nine to five version of work. And I think honestly, after the pandemic kind of no longer exists in the creative field. So like any, everyone who I know is working from home. Everyone who I know who is in the industry is, is 
maybe being forced to go back to the office, maybe not, but they're setting their own schedules in different ways to accommodate for obviously what happened through the pandemic. But what's happening now is like the creative work can be done from anywhere. That's been true for a really long time. So I hate to say this, but we were like, we were doing the remote thing before it was cool. Like we were on (laughs) Zoom before it was cool. I was telling everyone about Zoom when they had like 2,000, 3,000 users. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be the thing. Like I can see it. And like pandemic hit and everyone was like, how do I do Zoom? Can you hear me? (laughs) Um, So, you know, so that's that's been coming. I think the pandemic really accelerated that. um, And it changed the way businesses operate today, like entirely, entirely. So you guys, I think, are poised to to take that in because I think it's a good thing. Honestly, for the creative field specifically, I know not everyone can work from home. But for the creative industry specifically, if you have a powerful enough machine at home and you have a good enough internet connection, you could do almost anything from your house. Um, so that's that's a big shift. I set my own hours, but I set them consistently. So just uh, we work from 10 to 6. We do not work before that. We do not work after that. We close our doors. No one calls us. We don't pick up the phones. Like we were tight on that. And that's obviously by choice. It's a culture thing. It's something that we want to make sure that everyone is is on board with before they get to us. Um, and everyone, for the most part, all our clients have never complained about that. Maybe maybe one or two at the beginning because they were sort of expecting these things to come in faster. But now that we've set our boundaries, I, I don't think any client has ever said, you need to be open later. We need, we need more work from you. Um, yeah, so... Well, that's, that's really interesting. So I have two, I have like three follow-up questions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think that's really interesting. First of all, I didn't know that you guys had that policy, that 10 to six policy. And it sounds like it's really, you know, you guys, you take it really seriously. You know, first of all, like, have you noticed that your productivity as a company has changed since then? And also like, you kind of touched on this, but but has it been a challenge to manage your clients' expectations in terms of, yeah, as you say, productivity or or even if a client is just worried at 10 o'clock at night, like, you know, I come from the culture where, you know, uh, our producers would be available 24-7. And so like they would be picking up the phone at like one or two in the morning if, if their clients called them. So like, yeah, I mean, could you t- talk about kind of like what that culture shift has been like in terms of the hours? As an owner, you set this. As a as an employee or a freelance, as a freelancer, you set it as well. As an employee, it's a lot harder to like yell at someone above you to be like, "Hey, I don't want to work this much," or "This is like way past the amount of time." Like sometimes it's just sometimes the project is not well managed enough that you're gonna have to work overtime. That's a different problem, right? I think the reason why overtime happens is because the management of the project is subpar. You haven't thought about everything that needs to go into it. You haven't given it enough time in terms of the schedule. And in some cases, you've let go of some of those responsibilities or or checks that usually should be in place for your project to run smoother. So... I put it on the studios to be like, if your project is running late or slow, it's because you're doing something wrong. It's not because the clients, I mean, it could be that the clients are asking a bunch, but a client who's who's maybe paying you a lot of money, you're in a vulnerable position. But if they're paying you a lot of money for something that they need, which is different than something that they want, 
right? Like I want you to work all the time. I would love if you worked 24 seven, but you don't need that, right? What you need is a project to be delivered on time and with a certain quality. And so that's a different mindset. Like you have to shift your mindset on, it's not about the deadline, it's about the quality. And if you want more quality, then we're going to have to do it at this certain time. And it's up to the studios to put that foot down. It's not up to anyone else, right? And, and you know, clients have a ton of money. And a lot of, a lot of the times, that's, that's their leverage. They're saying, I pay you a bunch. And so you should do this for me. But what, they're, what they might not be realizing is they're paying for the quality. They're paying for the, the, the end result, not necessarily you as a person. And I think that, that separation doesn't happen enough. Interesting. So yeah, kind of like kind of similar to advice I give some of you guys individually is like separating your professional lives from you as a person sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you take that approach as a company, right? Like separating the emotion from the what in at the end of the day is as a transaction. Yeah. I mean, so you, you can never separate emotion from business. I know people say that like, okay, you need to, you need to remove all the emotion and just think logically about this thing. That's impossible. It is impossible to do that because all of your emotion around, especially in creative work, all of the stuff that you're making is emotionally driven, right? Like you're using your emotions and your traumas and your life experiences to create the stuff that's on the screen. And so it's impossible. <laughs> but what you can do is is talk about those fears, talk about those concerns up front, and that kind of dissipates all of the anxieties. I think a lot of the times we think about anxieties when we're talking about people who are calling. You, you just mentioned someone 10 o'clock at night worried about the project. That's just anxiety. That's like lack of trust. That's like you know, that's a personal problem. That's not a business problem. And so I think we have to separate those things out when we talk about producing good content or producing good work for other people, their emotional anxieties are heightened when they don't trust you, when they don't feel like they might not be able to deliver, right? Because it's on them, right? Whoever you're delivering for, it's on them and and up the chain. <laughs> Everyone is feeling that way. So, so your job as an artist or your job as a studio is to is to instill trust. And so that's that becomes sort of the guiding light for our studio is like, how do we build trust with our customers so that they're not calling wow. us at 10 at night, so that they're not worried about it. We're gonna deliver, we're gonna get it to you when we say that we will, because we've done that for so long in the past. And if we don't, we're gonna give you a heads up about it. And we're gonna say, look, we're gonna miss this deadline for this reason, but it was because, because of something maybe you did. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's something that we did, but we own that, you know, and we talk yeah. about why and how we're going to make, you know, you can't just say I'm going to be late. You're going to be late. And here's the solution to the problem that we see. And here's the next deadline. You know, you got to be proactive about what's coming next because you want to instill trust in your client. Right. That's great. Yeah. I like that. Like, like owning the, the, the problem, right? Like, like I'm going to be late, but going beyond that and saying, and it doesn't matter necessarily why, you know, maybe an explanation helps, but being proactive with a solution and like, you know, I'm going to be late. This is how we're going to remedy the solution, or this is, this is how we're going to come in on time for the next deadline that we set, or, you know, this is what's going to change or whatever. Yeah. Building trust. I like that as a guiding principle for 
for all relationships, <laughs> right? Like yeah. business to client, artist to boss, like all those kinds of relationships. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say most most people who are in charge of like delivering work don't actually care why it was late. They care that right. it's gonna be ready at a certain time and, and it's reliable. You want it to be reliable. Well, yeah, the, before I move on to my next question, the, the other kind of follow-up question I had was, and, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot, and I'm sure we've all heard about this a lot, but with the kind of like advent of, you know, remote work becoming mainstream, I, I guess, could you talk a little bit more about that, like prospects in, in the context of like, what should all these folks in this room expect as they apply for a job, begin to apply for jobs, uh, as they begin to interview for jobs and consider whether or not to apply for a job or even take a job, should they expect every place they apply for to be remote? Is that reasonable? Try and talk about it from the perspective of like someone who might be hiring artists and, and who knows about what other places and other companies are doing. Can you just kind of talk about it from that perspective as people who are looking for work now? I think if you're looking for a job today, the landscape for you is entirely different than when it was when I was looking for work. And that's okay. I think that's a good thing. The channels are opened up. I think the distribution channels for getting work and the distribution channels for trying to find you, all of those channels are open. And that's due to the what pandemic. And so what that's... What does that mean? What are, what are channels? I'm sorry to cut you off. What are channels? Yeah. That, what I mean is like, how do you find someone today that's a good artist? I can go on Instagram. I can go on LinkedIn. I can go on Behanced. I can go on uh, Dribble. Like there's so many avenues for me to find you that it's easy for me to go and find someone who's doing exactly the kind of work I'm looking for and exactly the kind of style and exactly the kind of program that we need. Like the way I can search supersedes the old versions of that. Now, some studios are still using the old versions. Now, the old version is look at look at our, our uh, application, jobs application thing, go through our process and fill out the form. And that goes into something called an ATS system. Uh, I forget, applicant tracking system. Because so many people apply to these things, you have to sort of figure out, okay, an ATS system sorts you into some categories depending on what people are looking for. And so they're using those systems. And at scale, that makes sense. You have so many people applying. But if I'm a producer on a project that's, you know, maybe in New York or in Los Angeles, who's a smaller house, I don't have access to an ATS system. I might not be able to do that. However, I can go on LinkedIn. I can go on all these other channels and find the people who are doing this kind of work and shoot them a DM, like, like clearly send you a message and say, hey, I saw your work here. I think it looks really great. We have a project. Can I hire you? Like yeah. that's another mechanism that people aren't necessarily thinking about. I mean, some large studios are thinking about it that way, but maybe smaller, less, uh, less scalable productions are, are also doing that. So, so that's a good, that's good news for you because you can continuously create stuff and hope like hopefully someone will find you, but then you have to be proactive about doing that. And I can talk about that later, but, but that's what I mean by channels. They're open. Um, and so it's a, it's a much better place to be. Now the remote, the remote work stuff is, is sort of a personal choice. The reason I say that is because, and it depends on your system. So technology, remote work, and like control are all sort of on this Venn diagram of like trying to figure out how I get you to do work for me. Technology allows you to create 
really cool things if if you have it. So, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever run to this, but like, you know, you run out of CPU memory or GPU memory or you run out of whatever space on your hard drive if you're like doing live action. All of that requires more tech, which means that if you're a freelancer or a solopreneur or someone who's like, looking for work, it's going to depend on your system, the, the technology that you have access to. So at a college, you could go and use their things. That's They enable the technology. So I would say do more work at a college if you're still you know, a solopreneur or something like that. Use their tech because that allows you to create cooler things or more sophisticated projects. So that's one layer. The other layer is personal preferences. So like uh, if you don't like being at home, you're not going to be comfortable working from home. I mean, that's just a given. If you want to switch over to doing a WeWork or something like that or going to a place where there's other people around you, there's options for that now that that were not available, I don't know, 10 years ago, but it costs money. So how much do you spend for that sort of atmosphere? That's really the question there. And then the other part of it, was, which I mentioned, was control. So a lot of studios might want to just control your time because they don't trust that you're going to work at the times that you say you're going to work, right? If you're working from home, there's no check on that. And there's a lot of technology that's allowing that to happen. So sometimes they'll send you a machine, they'll send you the equipment, and the equipment itself can figure out when you're working and when you're not working. And that's a little scary. Yeah, yeah. that's a little scary. It's a little shitty. And it's and it's basically because they just don't trust you. They don't trust you to do the work when you say you're going to. And that's 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 a lot harder to combat. I don't know how to combat that other than I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to work for myself. Um, so, yeah. So those three things are things you might think about. That's what you should expect in some capacity. Now, there's studios who are still bringing people in, like 100%. So that's still a possibility. You could still work that way. I know um, someone we both know, Chris, who works at Nickelodeon. He goes in maybe once once or twice a week or maybe three times a week and then works from home the rest of the time and has a has a decent machine at home that you know does all the work that he needs it to do for the project that he's on so i think that's important the technology has to enable you at home to do the thing that you need to do i you know i have a big setup here <laughs> um so that i can do all kinds of stuff depending on what i'm asked yeah, yeah. so i guess like for me maybe five or six years ago and still today sometimes like sometimes you know, the best advice that I can give to folks who are graduating is, you know, move to LA, <laughs> uh, depending on the person, right? I guess, so I guess kind of what I'm taking out of that is that that's not necessarily the best advice anymore, right? Like, you don't necessarily have to move to one of these hotspots, LA, Vancouver, New York, there's more options. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's as true. I still think it's true because of the way the studios run and the way they want you to work and right. and how much and like how much you want to work on those properties. I think that's another question. Is like if I want to work it on a, on the next Marvel movie, yeah, I'm gonna have to move to somewhere where they're gonna at least see me and then be able to hire. Like some people just don't hire outside their state, which to right. me is ridiculous, but you know, yeah, I mean, that was yeah. a big challenge for me when like at various points in my career, when I was deciding like what was next or something, I did not want to move to LA. And I knew that was cutting me off from a lot of opportunities. Um, 
But anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll follow up with that. I think it's it's visibility. So because yeah. these because you can become more visible more quickly to the people who matter at those places, you no longer have to be in front of their faces all the time. So before, when I didn't have a job, I would go to a lot of networking events and I would try to like hand out my card and I would try to introduce yeah. myself. And making that introduction is nice. And like you get a one-on-one -on -one connection and, and that's great. But they don't necessarily remember me after that, right? They might go home and totally forget about me, throw out my card and like, who cares? But if I'm online and consistently posting and you're on a channel that you follow, you're going to consistently hear my name or you're going to consistently see my work. And it's about visibility. If I can make myself way more visible for you, then I'm going to be top of mind when you think about the next person that you're looking for. And if I'm giving you the stuff that I know that you want to see or in terms of like style or whatever, th that it might come my way. So, I mean, I know a lot of artists who post a bunch on Instagram and that's how they get work. That's like their primary source of new clients. And, and what ends up happening is that those clients become repeat clients. They're loyal. Yeah. They get to their own thing. And so if you have a specific type of work that you do or a specific passion that you're like going after or, or expressing through your artwork, then people are going to start to look for that stuff when it's necessary. Now that's the drawback. The drawback is like, now I have to wait until someone requires me. Yeah. And so that, that waiting period is very uh, stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And, and I can definitely attest to that visibility thing with you, Will, in particular, because one of the reasons that you were top of mind for me when I was thinking about, you know, who I can invite to be a guest speaker you are a fantastic, prolific poster on LinkedIn, for me anyway, oh, from the people that thanks. I follow. Yeah, no, I mean, but it, it, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. Like, you were visible to me, and I, you know, I know you, but also I kept thinking about you because you were visible to me. You know what I, I mean? think about you too, Jeremy. I think oh, about you I'm just validating what you're saying. You know, it makes perfect sense because you're really good at it. So I'll, t I'll tell you a story and it's kind of a like kind of a lovey-dovey story, but, but not really, but I'm not sure I've ever told you this in my mind. When I first okay. met, when I first met you, you, oh, were my, you, were, <laughs> you ready for this? You were my nemesis in my head. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell your students this story. So I walk in, this is a lab in a classroom and, uh, it was Anim three. This is okay. Chris, yeah. Chris Perry's class. And we're doing lighting and compositing on the film that he was pushing through that program. And I walk yep. in at a time where no one else is there and Jeremy's the only one there. And I look over and he's, he's lighting a shot that looks beautiful. I mean, it looks beautiful. It's the first time I had ever seen that, like one of the shots lit. It's of lead, the little, uh, swimming character yeah and you would you would lit this shot that was so amazing in my eyes at the time and i was like damn i need to do better than that and like <laughs> and like that was my motivation for part of that project to be like I, how can i beat jeremy how can i beat jeremy and so like in my oh, head yeah. i was like yeah i know i never told you that story but then <laughs> but then it turns out like we started working together on the project and i was like oh yeah and you get like you gave me good advice i gave you good advice it was a really nice like connection and in the end i think we, we ended up working together at a, a visual effects house um yeah. Yeah. doing visual effects together so that that was really nice to, to yeah have. yeah so, oh well 
I'm glad that I didn't continue to be a nemesis. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember, I remember that too. Uh, not from that perspective, but definitely developing like a really nice working relationship with you. Uh, again, that like continued uh, after, after college. You know, and we both yeah. have answered that at various points. And I'll I'll speak to that as a as a framework for going into the industry. If you if you see some, I mean, everyone you work with, to some extent, when you when you're starting out, is better than you. And that that is not always true, but for the most part, it is. And I think as a newcomer to an organization, to a studio, to a production house, to a, whatever you want to call it, learn from the people that are around you. Right. Like they are going to teach you so much stuff that that is nuanced within their realm that you might not be thinking of. And it's it's very valuable experience. And I think that's the part that we lose from the remote work stuff. So mm. we need to figure out how to get that back. And I don't I don't have a quite the right answer, but I think at least in our pipeline, because everyone is so individualized, it's reverse feedback. So think about it this way. If I give you a piece of the project and you work on it and you make some something for someone else, then we hand it off. That next person should be allowed to give you feedback on the thing that you made. And some to make, it could be in a call, it could be a recording, it could be, but like, I think we're losing that from the in-person stuff and we need to figure out how to get it back within creative industry specifically. But that's, you know, aside from like hanging out with people and doing like maybe virtual Zoom hangouts or meetups, you know, people are kind of over that at this point. Yeah. I think, you know, having in-person one-on-ones or in-person group sessions that, that are like maybe once a month or once every two weeks or something like that could be beneficial to just like your mental health as you move forward. But aside from that, I think that's where remote work is. Sorry, I went back to that question. No, 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 that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, because like that actually was a great natural transition to what the next question I wanted to start talking about was, you know, I've Part of that was like, could you talk about your early career, what it was like at, right after college for you? You know, how did you go after jobs? How did you go about finding work and employment? And then the, the final question, and at that point, you know, we can start to kind of open it up to everybody. Is, do you have any critical advice for college seniors who are about to enter the job market today? We've kind of been touching on that this whole time. But, you know, if you could maybe kind of talk about that part of things, like, right after college, what was that like? What did you do? How did you, air quotes, make it? <laughs> I have not made it. <laughs> I know it feels like that maybe from where you're sitting, but there's, making it doesn't exist. You're either yeah. at one level or you're at a different level. And that's it. I think you should get rid of that term in your mind entirely. Like people who work on really big films also could be struggling emotionally while working on those films. To me, that's not making it, right? Sure. Um, being happy and content with the work that you're making, being happy and content with the life that you're living, being happy and content with the people you're with, that's making it. And I can expand my circle a bit. I have like two really good friends and that's about it. And Jeremy, you're one of them, of course. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so let's see. So when I first graduated, I was I, w I did not go into animation. Like I, I worked... Throughout college, I worked on on a, at a place that was like a, a bank. It was basically cashing checks and handling money, a bunch a bunch of money. And when I got out of college, they made me manager, and I was a manager of these uh, one of these things. And 
you know, that was fine. It, it paid the bills. I think something that you should be aware of is that paying the bills is okay. That being in your career right out of college, it's not a failure if you don't get a job in your industry or in the particular realm that you studied. And that was a hard lesson for me because I was, I felt like a failure as soon as I got out because I was like, oh, I, no one, you know, no one took my application in. I also didn't do a lot of work to track it. So I didn't know how, I, I couldn't tell you today how many places I applied to or how many rejected me. I mean, they probably all did. I, I couldn't tell you, but, but that's one piece of advice that I would have for you today is to track where you're applying to. And you could do that in multiple ways. A spreadsheet is nice, but you don't have to. It could be on paper. It could be anywhere. But you want to track. I applied to this place. Here's when I sent my stuff. How long did it take to for them to get back to me? If they didn't, here's how long I waited until I followed up. That was advice that I, I heard a lot during my class that was very similar to this one. You know, people were saying, like, you have to track it. The things that you track are the things you're going to get better at inevitably so because you can see the the change so that's that's one so i didn't do any of that when i left i went into this field that was like i was just trying to pay the bills and then i got to i think you just called me someone called i think it was you jeremy who called me and said look my studio is hiring where they're looking for someone like an intern or something and would you be interested in doing that and i said yes like i knew i didn't want to do what i was doing in the moment. And like, that was another sort of leap of faith moment for me to be like, I, I can't stay here. <laughs> I know that I want to be in this realm. And VFX wasn't even the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be sort of an animator doing animation. But I went into VFX for a little bit because I knew that I could learn from that experience. So I went out and sometimes you do that. Like sometimes taking on a job is more about the experience of the learning that you're going to get rather than the actual money. Because I think the internship wasn't even going to pay as much as I was making at the bank job. And so, right. so uh, you know, it was a, it was a trade-off. Like, sure, I'm not going to make enough money, but I'm going to learn a bunch of shit. So I went that way. I started, uh, I think the first, my first task at Zero VFX was like, taking out the trash or something like that. It was like super menial. And like, you know, I had to sell, I remember I had to sell some, some mirrors. They had just moved into a space and they had like these mirrors, like giant mirrors lying around. And oh. someone put me in charge. It was like, Hey, you need to sell, sell these mirrors online. And I was like, <laughs> I know oh, okay, part. I know how to sell stuff. So I went online. It, they were gone like next day. So, you know, sometimes that experience helps. Um, what else did I do? After zero, I think I got that uh, AT&T job and I was, I was sort of teetering on whether or not I wanted to do animation in the first place. Um, it, it, you know, it didn't pay well. There's this, this like idea of the starving artist. Am I going to be a starving artist forever? Like I didn't want that. And so my gut told me that I have to be in this industry, but I don't have to be there just yet. It might, it might take some time. So I got a bunch of other skills and that's okay. They're still applicable today. They're still going to be applicable in the future. So any job is going to teach you some new things. So I don't, I don't want you to think that it's a failure, that it's not in the same realm that you're studying now. Now, when don't give up on the finding or searching, right? So you want to make sure you're still putting your, your eggs in other baskets as you're working through this. You know, a lot of my students are in that position. They're, you know, this sort of halfway, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put a script over here, or I'm going to submit this application, or I'm going to go to this event. Those are the types of things that I, I ask 
my students to do, and I'll, I'll tell you guys the same, is like, it's, it's about visibility. Can you increase your visibility in any kind of place where you think that the people who are going to be there are the people who are going to be looking for you? Recruiters go to specific events. Those are the people you want to talk to and make an impression on. And again, be visible. Connect with them on LinkedIn. Connect with them on Instagram continuously post they're going to be on your timeline they're you know you're going to show up on their timelines and it's about visibility thank you for luck yeah yeah that didn't happen in my world because there was no instagram <laughs> i think linkedin is maybe starting out just like and i so i wasn't on there so a lot of the times it was submitting an application i would do a resume i would do a, and i i still think you should do this by the way don't don't skip out on the resume and the real and the portfolio submission and the like cover letter because those are the things that tell the recruiters who you are and they're still looking for who you are and you could show them in a different way but there's something about attention to detail everyone talks about attention to detail when they're trying to find someone to hire are they are they going to pay attention to detail what that really means is can i trust you to do the right thing can i trust you to follow directions can I trust you to fill out the paperwork the way you're supposed to? Can I trust you to do all these things? And and if you don't do them in succession like that, the way they want to, then then you're cutting off this this piece that like tells them like there's no other way for me to know that you pay attention to detail if you don't go through that process. How mm. else would I know? Right? How else would I know? Like I can see your work, it's great great artists get passed up all the time because they don't pay attention to the details. They don't fill out the forms correctly. They don't punctuate their sentences. They don't like, and it's so easy to miss you. You like, because the world operates on this like text level or, you know, social media level, professional people aren't looking for that. They're looking for how can, like, how can I extract from what you give me the fact that you're going to pay attention, you're going to follow directions, and you're going to be a good candidate, like you're going to be trustworthy. And so all of those things contribute to like generating trust. And yeah. so, yeah, pay attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> well, which I, I which I didn't do. So yeah, yeah me, me, me neither. It was definitely lessons I think we both learned over time. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's that's fantastic advice, and and also that's gonna that last bit too is gonna come in real handy in a, in a little bit because today we're gonna start talking about some of those things. Awesome. Well, Will, thank you so very much for joining us today. I think we'll we'll wrap up. Yeah, I really want to thank you for your time. This was a very informative conversation for me, and I hope for everybody else as well. I'm glad that I'm not your nemesis anymore. <laughs> 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 because I really, you know, I, I look at what you've done with your career and your business, and uh, it's just very inspiring to me. I am always so impressed. Like, you're, you're my nemesis now. Uh, so, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, is, that is such a compliment, honestly. Yeah. Nemesis for life. So, yeah, uh, just thank you so much. And, and I want to ask. You know, uh, if anybody would like to ask you any follow-up questions or connect with you on any of the various kind of channels that we talked about, what is the best way for them to do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you'd like to, you can follow me technically on LinkedIn. You can also connect with me directly. I'm totally fine with that. Um, I like I have connections to a bunch of students of my own. You can also follow. So we just launched a podcast. If you want to hear more about how clients think and what the problems are with animation and how we deal with those, that's running bi-weekly, sometimes weekly, but I, I'm trying to get it to a weekly state. But bi-weekly for sure, we're going to be putting out episodes, having interviews with people who are our clients and running AMAs. We haven't done one yet, but we will. And so please come and ask questions there too. This is an ongoing conversation. I don't want you to think that like, oh, there's a person who came to our school and that was it. I'm happy to help most people if you're nice. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a big criteria for me. Be nice. Openpixelstudios.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Follow me there. Connect with me there. Yeah, listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I want to open it up. Does anybody have anything that they'd like to ask? Well, Glenn, yeah. So you were, you were talking about this um, a little bit with like the hours that it comes to operate. Would you say that you have like a piece to get a 40 hour One of the things that I feel like I've heard a lot from people that start their own companies when you do this kind of working for yourself stuff is just that like I I didn't want to do a 9 to 5, so now I do a 24 to 7, basically. So just I feel like that's kind of an inevitable part of the experience that I wanted to ask about then, just see what your work-life balance is like. Yeah. So I get up in the morning. I have about two hours. Uh, I get up early. So I've shifted. I used to be a night owl. I'm kind of an early bird today. But I, I wake up and I have about two hours before work starts. And work starts at 10. I, we take a lunch from 12 to 1 and then we close at 6 and then the rest of the time is mine. That is enforced by the fact that I have a separate office. I close the door. I physically close the door. So there's like this, I don't know, there's this mental separation between where I work and where I go home, right? Or where I play. And I think one of those things is like like setting the expectation for your clients early. I do that with everyone that comes across our doors. So I make sure that they understand that everyone at this company closes at six. We're not going to answer your calls. You can send texts. You can send... Well, we don't do any texts, but you can send calls. You can leave voicemails. You can send messages. But you know, a lot of our phones are deliberately set up so that we don't get any work emails after six or before 10. So all of those things that we put in place, at least for us personally, and that's not everyone, like that could be, that could be just me, but it's your preference. And my approach to trying to like contain work is all about using the technology around me to set those boundaries for me as well so that I don't have to think about it. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, I have a question about um, like finding internships on LinkedIn or Glassdoor or whatever, because I, I feel like I've gone on there multiple times and I can't find like any internships that's really my niche. So I guess like what what other outlets can I look just to like look for internships and volunteer opportunities even? Can I ask about um, what is what is it that you're trying to do? Um, so I like storyboarding and doing concept art and like pre-production stuff. Okay. Do you consider yours like, would you want to do as like a, be a story artist or a concept artist? Those are two different roles. Um, storyboard artist, let's just say for now. Okay. So most places call that story artist. 
I know that's a little bit weird, but so a story artist, a story artist at most studios is going to be what you want to search for. They usually don't have internships. And they is a broad term. It depends on where you're going. But most of the larger studios, we're talking entertainment for children, Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, they're going to do things like put you in a program because they believe in your artwork, but telling the story that they want you to tell is a different bag of tricks. And so they need to sort of train you up on that. So what I would do is instead of searching for internships, I would search for story development programs. And sometimes they're free, sometimes they're paid. It depends on who's putting it on. So that's what I would search for. There is a thing on LinkedIn called Animation Jobs. That might be a group to either join or follow. Animationjobs.com, I believe, is the website. And that is a pretty good place to get story stuff started. Story artist is a very hard role to get into. Because again, they, you, so the story that you tell is something that people have to make money off of, right? The studio has to make money from your story. And they have this whole section called development, which is basically taking your script, taking your story, taking your storyboard and figuring out what changes can they make to make it predictably profitable for their company. Especially if you're doing that at a large studio. So I think to, to also answer part of your question, what those are, is there kind of like very structured apprenticeships, if you will. Oh, okay. So they're like like the POPs program, the Pixar POPs program, which I'm sure you guys all know about. It's kind of like that. Large, they tend to be things that are attached to, you know, the larger studios, right? And so they're very structured. As Will said, some of them pay, some of them don't. And it's like... Yeah, it's an apprenticeship where it's like part training, part work. And so, yeah, there are these kind of structured things. The other places you can apply and think about is a pre-viz studio. They have these places called pre-production, pre-visualization studios that take in all the work from larger corporations, larger studios, and they do pre-viz on the movie before it actually gets done. And a lot of that is storyboarding. And story. If you want to go concept art, that's a little bit different. Sometimes concept art, there could be an internship for that. I'm I'm not sure. Well, thank you for that. I guess I had I had one more follow up question. Do you think being a, like a freelance artist is productive? Like just going on Fiverr and you know something like that, and just like doing your own independent work? Yeah. Or should I be more focused on like career? Because I know you're supposed to build up a portfolio, but I don't know if it's a waste of time being a freelance. You know. Yeah. So building a portfolio is never going to be a waste of time. I think wasting, like if you're building your portfolio on a daily basis, making a new piece, maybe every day or every week that is telling a story, then that's a good use of your time. Not only does it flex your creative muscles, but it also allows other people to see what kinds of things you're thinking about, like what kinds of stories you're telling, what you're passionate about. And so I, I wouldn't consider that, I would consider that investment right? You're putting your time into making something that you're proud of. I, I guess just like, because um, you were talking about people looking out and recruiting, um, like, is it, I guess, a, a good way for a recruiter to see me, to see my work, you know, doing a freelance thing like on Squarespace? Or... Yeah. So those, yeah, those are all just channels to find work. So yeah, I personally, I think mm-hmm. it's a good thing. I think that there's a kind of problem with those uh, setups. It's sort of a race to the bottom on terms of pricing. And pricing yourself out is a whole other 
bag of things that you need to learn. But, and my advice here is for everyone to track their time. So in whatever it is you're doing, track your time on how long it's taking you to do a specific thing. We track our time here pretty religiously based on the role that we're serving at the time. And then that way we know how long it takes when they ask us again. And so if it takes you, you know, you could be the best storyboard artist, but if it takes you, I don't know, two months, three months to get one frame out, that's not viable for what we're trying to do. So, you know, so the time that it takes you is actually really important. Yeah. In terms of the the platforms, I, I think they're fine. You could create a profile in any one of those and showcase your work. It depends on the platform on how you th- get the work. Sometimes you can see, I mean, the way these places work is they'll see the requests. There'll be a bunch of requests and you search storyboard, you'll get a bunch of requests and you can pick and choose which job you want to apply for. And then on their side, they basically get to vet whether or not you're qualified for the job. Um, So it, it takes a lot of effort to get your first one, but as soon as you get your first one, you've done the process already. It's going to take a little less time. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. I, I want to be respectful of your time, Will. We're a little past ten. No, it's fine. Um, if you guys want to keep going, I'm I'm down. It's up to okay. you. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe one or two more questions. Maybe. Um. Yeah. So when you are not necessarily working in the industry, like you're doing those jobs to help keep the lights on, essentially, um, how is it that you like go about making connections with other artists? Because um, recently, and I think this is kind of the way that I've seen a lot of people in my generation going, where um, a lot of the people you end up collaborating with while you're not necessarily working in your field um, are people like your friends or people you went to school with. Um, and, you know, when you're not in that atmosphere, like you're just at the bank or Starbucks or whatever, how is it that you keep uh, in contact with creatives and work with creatives? Yeah, I would leverage the tech. So, you know, jump on Facebook groups, jump on LinkedIn groups that are following the same topics that you want to engage with. Um, making online friends is is difficult, I'll be honest, but it isn't impossible. And I think that if you see someone online that's doing work that's similar to yours, or maybe it complements your work in some way, reach out to them, shoot them a message and see what kind of thing you want to do. But the community is going to come from those online communities. There's Slack channels, there's Discord channels, there's, there's a ton of places where communities are being built that aren't usually necessarily talked about. There's a lot of artist communities in different places. And I would search for those within your specific thing that you want to do. Like if you want to do a compositing thing, you know, there's, there's a Facebook group for that and get in there, start posting your stuff, ask for feedback, that kind of thing. The reason I think artists get together is so that they share work and share their, basically their woes. And so like, if you, if you're a little bit vulnerable and talking about, here's what I'm struggling with, I think you'll get a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback back. Okay. Thank you. Jeremy had talked about this earlier, just mentioning that like earlier advice he had to people that were graduating was just to move to LA, basically. And I wanted to just kind of get your opinion and take on the idea of like how to thread the needle of deciding if you want to move somewhere for a job and like whether it's a better idea to just move to a city where the industry like where has more industry structure and just try and find jobs there or trying to hold off on moving until you have something mm-hmm. set up, just like. I think the things you were saying before about how like the landscape that we're going to graduate into is very different into how things were when you guys were graduating and getting your first jobs. But just, do you have any advice or wisdom on that really? Because I feel like that's kind of the next biggest hurdle that I'm looking for right now is figuring out where do I want to, 
what do I want to do with myself now, basically, obviously? Just do I want to take the risk of moving and just like the financial burden and just the life chaos and the risk of just moving out of an area that I know pretty well? Just I, You could totally stay where you are if that's the route you want to go. I think the risk is actually less. Because of remote work, you can try to get those jobs in those other cities before you get there, before you move out. Some, again, larger studios will pay for a relocation package, depending on what kind of studio you're thinking about. Or you can ask for that in the interview. Always ask for that, by the way. But I think your your risk level is diminished because, you again, you can still apply for those when you're when you're in a safe, comfortable place. That said... It does help, again, to put your face out there in front of people who are in the room at, at networking events or anything like that. In order to get there, you have to travel. So you could, if it's a city that's close by, you could go in, say hi, say like be in the room and then just go back home. I did that for a while coming out here because there were some networking events in Western Mass. I was living in Boston. And the only reason I got the Anzivan job was because I was at a networking event. I met, I like reconnected with someone that was in the room and he introduced me to someone who I was like, oh, okay. Like, and back then there was no LinkedIn. No one's on LinkedIn. No one was on Facebook. No one was on these channels. And so it was like, I can't really show you how good I am unless I give you this thing. But in this day and age, you can, you know, shoot someone a message. Some Everyone in the room is going to be in different places. So leverage those people that you're good friends with. I hope you're all good friends. Invite them over to stay at your places, do vice versa. And that's how you get into other spaces that you that you normally wouldn't have gone to. Um, all right. Thank you. Yeah. That's fun, but... I think we had two, one of, one of two, your Morgan or Martin. Um, a concern I've had about like applying to remote jobs is that they might not be as inclined to train someone remotely as opposed to someone that works there. Is that something like you take into account when you take people on? Yeah. So we have a series of videos that I recorded. What we do is basically depending on the role. So we, we take the sort of, um, assembly line approach to creative projects, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. But we like our philosophy is ensure that you create for the next person. So we break down our videos into stages. Each stage can have a freelance artist within those stages. And usually it's something that you already know how to do in a program that you're already comfortable with. And we have videos that basically say, here's how we want you to deliver your work. Or here's how we want you to set up the work, or here's where we find the files, or you know that kind of thing. In terms of, there's not a lot of training because all of the work that funnels in funnels into either one of two machines, and we're putting it together for the client. So it's slightly a different process to creating the work entirely. Um, but at our larger studios that have remote work situations, it depends on who you're working with. Like that's very specific to the role, and so. That, how what training you get is going to be specific to that role at op what we're trying to do is basically create a um an sop system an sop stands for standard operating procedure so that those documents in the past were paper and you had to like open up and read them and whatever these days they're going to be online and they're going to be videos it's like a training series and you watch every video and then you kind of figure out the process from there and so Eventually, we'll have one of those. We're actually in the process of putting that together. That's the training that you would get here if you were freelancing with us. Oh, cool. Thank you.